Well, now that we've got that so-called football game out of the way, we can finally go back and start talking about the Ontario Hockey League again. I don't know about you, Dan Mahar, but my Sundays aren't Sundays during hockey season unless there's a 6.05 start at Tribute Community Centre in Oshawa. That's just that's just the way it should be at this time of year. So anything that gets in the way of that is going to piss me off even more than usual. Well, no, I, I, I think it was really courteous of the Oshawa Generals to move that game up for people like me who want to watch a junior hockey game followed by the Grey Cup. That's just, that's courtesy to all your fans right there. What's this Grey Cup you're speaking of? I don't even understand it. See, I, I, I'm not a football snob, so I, I equally like the NFL and CFL, but I got to tell you, for those that don't like the CFL, you missed one heck of an entertaining game. It was one of the best games I've watched ever. I still couldn't get over because I did flip back and forth from the Sunday night NFL game because I might be a bit of a football snob. I just didn't understand the attempt at the end of the game to try to kick the ball into the end zone. I didn't understand. What's that going to do? Anyway, you and I went over this on text message. I guess I kind of get the the hell Mary, the foot Mary. I don't even know. But I, I, I've actually, I've, I've thought about this because I don't know why the CFL never settled in for me or with me. I became an NFL fan first for sure when I was a kid and I just never got into the CFL. But I'll tell you this. I started my radio career out in British Columbia, and then I really came to understand what the passion was all about when it comes to the Canadian Football League. They love their CFL in Western Canada, so maybe geography has something to do with it. I can't explain your love for it, but I, it just never took with me. So. <laughs> I, I just have a love for entertaining football. It could be NFL, CFL. I just find the proportion of entertaining games a little higher on the CFL at times. NFL, you get an awful lot of dogs, especially this year. But I'm not discriminating. I just like entertaining football. That's fair. I like entertaining sports in general, unless you think you pressed play on the wrong podcast. No, this is the OHL podcast. That's Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Find us on the X Twitter thing, at Dan Mahar, at Farwell underscore OHL. And let me just shamelessly tie in football one more time. High school football if you're a fan of the Ontario Hockey League and you get used to those Friday, Sunday home game home games for your favorite team, you'll notice that in the United States, the three U.S.-based teams in Saginaw, Flint, and Erie rarely, if ever, play Friday night home games because Friday nights in those states are high school football nights. I bring that up by way of a terrible segue because we're going to start this episode of the OHL podcast by talking about one of those U.S.-based teams and not just because they won, they have won seven in a row. The Saginaw Spirit, Dan Mahar, have asserted themselves as very serious about going through the front door to the Memorial Cup that they're hosting next spring. Yeah, and I think when we made our predictions, this is exactly what we called, right? Uh, we had Saginaw first in the conference, and it wasn't looking so good, but we knew they were going to make these additions. We know they're not done. They've accumulated this stockpile of picks and there's more to come. But when when you think of adding a 49-goal scorer and Alex Christopoulos and Ruddy Dionizio, who's one of the more impactful two-way defensemen when he's on his game, when he's healthy, those are two huge ads for Saginaw early in the season. And again, I'll just reiterate how big a fan I am of GMs who jump early. 
strike while the iron's hot, get your players in your lineup, use a bunch of uh, extra weeks to acclimatize so that you have the whole stretch run with them already assimilated into your lineup. So I think a brilliant move uh, by the Saginaw Spirit. Yeah, I agree. And I love also, we've talked about it on episodes already this season. I love that we're seeing these deals in October, now into November. January the 10th, there will be more deals between now and then. There will be a flurry of sorts at that trade deadline on January the 10th. But to see this happening now, to get more value out of the player that you're putting into your lineup, to allow the team to gel, get used to one another with line combinations, etc. All these reasons are great reasons from where I'm sitting to get these deals done earlier in the season. And you mentioned not being done I spoke with Dave Drinkle, the general manager in Saginaw, the day after or a few days after this deal, uh, Christopoulos and Dionizio from Windsor in exchange for Roberto Mancini, Valentin Jogan, and two seconds and a fourth going back to the Spitfires. But Dave Drinkle told me flat out, no, they're not done. They have every intention of going through the front door. And listen, when you look at just what Dave Drinkle got in return for Pavel Minchikov a season ago. He hasn't even used up all of that currency yet in the deals that he's been making this year. Earlier, of course, that three-way deal with Sarnia and Erie that brought uh, Nolan Lalonde over to Saginaw. So dealing still to be done. They want to make sure they earn their way, so to speak, like every team, every team that's going to host. We see it no matter which league it's in. It's the Ontario Hockey League's time to host and Saginaw is giving itself its best shot. And we're not even at the end of November yet. Yeah. Uh, and that when people talk about what this team's going to do or what that team's going to do, it's all in the context of moves other teams are making as well. And I know you and I, Mike, being where we're based, we get lots of questions. Well, what's Kitchener going to do? They're looking so good. Do they buy? Well, Saginaw has a load of assets that they can use to to load up this year and they're starting to do it and I just don't know that you're going to win that arms race so you have to be comfortable with what you currently got trumping what they're going to have so these are discussions all these GMs are going to have like what do the London Knights do what do there's a a bunch of teams are going to have to make these calls but we know that uh, Dave Drinkill was loaded loaded for bear with his assets and he's starting to fire them and you know maybe that's another uh, argument in favor of making the deals earlier because if you establish yourself first you're kind of setting that bar now right if you want to come through the western conference we think you're going to have to come through us here's what we have on our roster already how do you want to respond london how do you want to respond kitchener and we'll just see where it goes from there yeah and you know i'd have to assume that's part of the thinking why i always question why don't GMs strike earlier because the prices seem to go up near the deadline and you get less service time so to me it doesn't make any logical sense but I think that's the only reason why they would is they want to hold their cards close to their vest until there's a point where the hit rival GMs can't react to what you've just done so that's the only reason I could see waiting to the very end obviously maybe you want a little more time to assess your team but in the case of Saginaw Spirit this year they're not waiting to assess their team they're in the Memorial Cup they know they've got to load up for this year so Maybe that's thinking on some other teams, but I, I, I still think that getting them early trumps trumps getting them late. Let's look a little more closely at the deal that was done. So I, I ran down uh, the, the names and the picks involved. So you get Alex Christopoulos, the 49-goal scorer that you mentioned, Roddy Dionizio, who's got a nice offensive upside to his defensive game for sure, and a sixth-round pick for what it's worth in exchange for Mancini, Jogan, 
two seconds and a fourth. And a lot of people, when this deal happened, especially when you see a 49 goal scorer like Alex Christopoulos, you're like, okay, your eyes get a little bit wide here and you, and you wonder, and we talked about this with the Connor Lockhart deal from Peterborough to Oshawa earlier this season, an, an 80 plus point player gets traded for a third and a fifth. And we're thinking, are these prices lower this year than what we've seen in years past? So I, I took a look at some of the deals from last year, the Minchikov deal, a little bit of a special deal, I would say, a highly regarded NHL prospect, only 19 as well, but went for those nine picks that I already made reference to. Three seconds, four thirds, two fourths to Ottawa last year. Logan Morrison, I think might be another interesting example playoff mvp the season before gets dealt from hamilton to ottawa for two seconds two thirds two fourths are we now in the ballpark of two seconds one fourth and two roster players mantini uh, mancini jugan maybe george diaco went from hamilton to london last year for a second and a third and then leighton moore from Oshawa to Kitchener, OA for OA, Joseph Serpa goes back the other way, plus a second, a third, and an eighth from Kitchener to Oshawa, along with Serpa for Moore. Those are some of the more recent deals that involved overage players. This was a whole bunch of overage players. At first blush, I thought, eh, you know what? Drinkle did a pretty good job here getting real value, extracting real value in this trade. I think you also have to look at it from Windsor's side. Bill Bowler had some holes to plug. One of those was on the back end for sure. And if it's one thing we know about Roberto Mancini, he's very reliable in his own end. And then you're adding a guy like Jugan, who I will almost guarantee dang T is going to score you 17 goals this year. Okay. Because that's what he's done the past two, but he's got a reliable top six forward to automatically add to his lineup. So I look at this as a pretty Good job by both general managers involved, but that's my perspective on it. What about yours? Yeah, no, that's a great take. I actually don't disagree with any of it. I think when you look at the Minchikov deal and the Morrison deal that you just referenced, it's clear that some of these GMs value the active body they're getting in the lineup now a little higher than the picks because there were no bodies in those two deals. That's why the picks were, you know, nine and six as opposed to two or three picks. So obviously, and when you look at overagers switching places, you, you say, well, Alex Kostropoulos went to Saginaw, you needed to free up an OA spot. In some of these deals, it's just a, an overager who's not as highly valued, kind of a lower lineup guy that they're moving out just because they have to move that guy out. We're not talking about that with Roberto Mancini, as you just referenced. That's a guy that logs big minutes on the back end. Windsor has all kinds of trouble keeping the puck out of their net. So there's value going back there too. It's almost a position for position thing. So I, I think, yeah, these are just assessments the GMs make. And the last component I'd throw in there, Mike, is just the, the tightening up on how far out they can trade these picks will naturally bring those prices down. You can't do four, five, six second round picks anymore like you were seeing for a few years. You're not allowed to trade that, that many anymore. So naturally the price is going to come down and, you know, it might benefit Saginaw this year and next year it'll benefit whoever the buyers are next year. So it's just going to be, a, I think, probably the new natural law we're going to see around trades. Uh, I'm not all that interested these days. I used to be a little more interested in throwing names around about who's likely to move and what else is still going to be out there. I'll just say this. It kind of excites me. I, I get excited about the prospect of what this Saginaw team is going to look like when the GM flat out admits I'm not done yet. He's got space. He's got picks. 
and he wants to again win the championship on the way to hosting the Memorial Cup and ultimately, of course, win that. But I, I think there's a world of possibilities here in Saginaw, the way they have set themselves up for this season. And just as a, a fan, and I don't hate the super teams. I, I really don't. So I'm I'm really curious to see what's still to come and what this team looks like post-January the 10th. Yeah, it's, it's really intriguing because I did the same as you. I don't want to throw out a bunch of names there of kids that may or may not move, but I you scour the league and you're right, Mike, you see – some likely candidates of teams that are likely going to be shopping these guys, then probably even more intriguing names that teams aren't necessarily going to be shopping. But if uh Drinkhill makes the right offer, are these guys suddenly in play? So a lot, a lot's going to happen over the next two months, obviously, but there are definitely some intriguing names that look like really good fits to me to that spirit roster. And one of those names that was traded last season and is already being bandied about has been since the beginning of this season, you and I might be thinking he's not, going to move but we'll get to that a little later on in this episode because there are some really intriguing decisions to be made uh, particularly for one rather surprising eastern conference team so we will get to that one more thing i just wanted to touch on before we leave the saginaw spirit story and that is the piece that might almost get overlooked and not to take away from the luke mcnamara deal to kingston uh two-thirds and a fourth come back to saginaw remember they haven't even used all that draft capital they picked up in the Minchikov deal, and they're still keeping decent picks, thirds and fourths, plus others in their cupboard right now. But the, the one I wanted to touch on was the 15th rounder that goes to Sarnia for the rights to Luca Del Bell Blues. Now, look, the chances of Del Bell Blues actually coming back into the league are slim to none, and Slim just left town. But I love the flyer taken on this, and I love the fact that it's a, a 15th rounder. That's basically like saying, hey, I'll pick up your tab at the golf club or I'll buy you a round or something like that in the Ontario Hockey League here because a 15th rounder is you know, pretty much an inconsequential pick. No disrespect to any of the previous 15th rounders, but just remember one of my favorite deals from a year ago was Owen Sound and Dale DeGray doing a job with Kyle Raftis and the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, Landon Hookie and Julian Fantino, a straight-up player-for-player swap oh, wait a minute, let's throw in a 15-round pick each. And I think, I am I know, in fact, they haven't told me, but I'm sure both GMs did that just to do that because everybody else was throwing around draft picks. So instead of just a player for player, they're going to throw in a 15th rounder each and swap teams. That's just the value, essentially, of a 15th rounder. I, I, I think this is pretty cool. Just the prospect of it, again, of Del Del Belus, maybe. And if he does come back, he goes to Saginaw. Yeah, and I think we'd be remiss not to say, is that all there is to the deal? Because we've seen a bunch of these in the past, too, where, yeah, on paper, the transaction's a 15th rounder, but if he plays a game or plays 10 games or whatever, that becomes a third rounder or something. So I haven't heard that there's any of these terms on this deal, but I wouldn't be shocked. But either way, it's a it's a good gamble for Saginaw because, you know, it's a fairly low-risk gamble, uh, and you could get an awfully big piece right at the right time. Yeah, we're not exactly uh, the beneficiaries of a lot of I, I don't want to use transparency here because it makes it sound like something, you know, untoward is going on at the league, which I don't mean that in this case. I just think they could do a better job of keeping us all informed as you know, if there are conditions on this, what are they? What does it look like? The more informed your fans are, the better as far as I'm concerned. And we'll touch on that a little bit later in this episode as well. Before we move on, though, uh, let's get to another one of the big stories from this week. And that is... Uh, this one breaks my heart because I, I know the kid from the community where I live and 
on that note, can we please stop calling him a Waterloo native? I know he played for the Waterloo Wolves, but Bo Aiki is a Baden boy, okay, from the beautiful township of Wilmot in the region of Waterloo. And I'm pretty sure that should he make the step to the next level, which all indications are he's on that trajectory, he'll become the first NHLer from the small town of Baden. But all of that said, Bo Aiki on the shelf, season ending shoulder surgery. Breaks your heart for the kid because he impressed at a development camp with Edmonton this past off season. They really liked what they saw. He signed his ELC. Barry, of course, is expecting great things. So we all lose from not having Aki in this league this year, but that's a big blow all around. Oh, it's crushing. And you hate hearing this for a kid at that age, first and foremost, huge developmental year. I know I did. I'm not going to throw you under the bus, Mike, but I, I had Barry doing a little better this year than they have so far. They were going to have decisions to make. Boakey's a name that also might have appealed to Dave Drinkill. That, that, that's the type of guy that it would really bolster any roster on the back end just because he plays all situations. Exceptional skater. Can, can kind of do it all for you. So you just you hate to any of these long-term injuries, you just hate to see them mostly for the kid, but you're right. It robs the uh, the OHL and the fans of the OHL from, from seeing some terrific players. You can throw me under the bus anytime you want. I, I should keep my list in front of me of the predictions I made, but I'm pretty sure when I think back on it that I had like Sudbury, Barry, Sudbury, Barry, and the only reason I went with Sudbury, and I, I was reluctant to, was because that just hasn't happened. Sud- yeah. No offense, Sudbury, but you know it too. You've never won that championship. Uh, but I, I thought Barry would be right there. And now here they are, fourth in their division and eighth right now in the Eastern Conference. And and I'm wondering now, Dan, I mean, again, not to get too much into the weeds with names and what teams are going to do, but we are at that point. I mean, Christmas is what, four or five weeks away, the break. And then basically it's Christmas into trade deadline you know, a week or so after the Christmas break. But if I'm Marty Williamson and the Barry Colts, how does this change my outlook on the season that is? You would have expected great things from Bo Aiki and the team by extension. And now you're probably asking yourself some pretty tough questions. Yeah, because I mean, let's face it, I don't want to throw a down note over the entire city of Barry. But when you lose a player of that stature, when your team was already struggling, it, it might be the kind of final nail in the coffin for the season. It's really hard to, do you spend assets to try and replace that guy just to get back to where you are now, which was eight and then have to do more to, to get into contention. I think the writings on the wall there, Mike, and I think that they maybe just became a seller. And if so, that becomes intriguing as well. Cause there are some, good pieces in Barry that could score them a number of assets at the deadline too. So you hate to see it happen on the basis of an injury, but you, you think of it as the injury as well as kind of an underwhelming first half of this year. So those two factors, I think they've just gone into the seller category. I thought the same thing initially. I'm still leaning that way, but I wonder this, Dan, does the wide open nature of the Eastern conference right now give you any pause? Honestly, because I don't see anybody necessarily running away with the conference. And because we already talked so much about Saginaw and hosting the Memorial Cup, you know that all you got to do is win the East. If you win your side, you're going to the dance. Absolutely. I, I think it is wide open. We talked about this like 
when we talked about this previously, but there aren't really any total dogs in the, in the league this year, there's also no superpowers and there's some teams better equipped to make some purchases this year. You just talked about all the picks Ottawa has in the cupboard. We know that Sudbury's already made a couple moves. So you've got some stiff competition. You've got two powerhouses from last year. that are looking like they haven't really fallen as much as we thought in Peterborough and North Bay. So there's a lot of teams that have the ability to win that East but you're right. It is wide open, Mike. And you, and you, if you're a GM there with a decent roster right now, you've got to be thinking, I make the right addition here. We're going to the Memorial Cup. Okay. What is that surprising team in the Eastern Conference that's got Dan and I really intrigued and texting one another during the Grey Cup to determine our positions on this particular team? Then there's this other team in the East that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not reaching for the panic button yet but oh boy you got to be asking some questions woe is windsor and how can the league help bring the fans uh, more information during a game we'll talk about all of that plus our prospects of the week still to come on this episode of the ohl podcast stay in the Eastern Conference, Dan, and I don't think anybody is still in the dark about the team it is that we've been referring to. But all of a sudden, what about these Peterborough Peets, a team at the beginning of the year that I think everybody expected to take a huge step back, be on the outside looking in. I, I recall having Sarnia and Windsor in the West as the team's missing and Peterborough and Niagara in the East as the teams missing the playoffs. Now, look at some of these numbers from Peterborough. They've currently won four in a row, and they've got points in nine of their past 10. They lead the East, both the division and the conference. They have only three regulation losses this season. That name I alluded to before that many figured would be moved again this year after arriving in Peterborough from Mississauga a season ago, everybody I think thought that Owen Beck at some point this season would be moved out of Peterborough to recoup some of the assets the team spent last year winning an OHL championship. They didn't just get to the dance. They took home the, uh, the queen of the ball. They were the, they were the prom queens and kings last year in Peterborough. So what do you do? They traded Michael Simpson at the beginning of the year. Maybe you thought that was the beginning of the dismantling of a championship team. And all of a sudden, you're running, dare I say right now, still comfortably first place in the Eastern Conference about a third of the way into the season. Yeah, you know, Mike, Peterborough was always the team that bothered me the most when we were trying to figure out what they're doing. Because clearly to me on paper, they're, they're a top-tier team. They have a lot of talent back from the OHL championship team. They play at system under Rob Wilson. That's extremely hard to contend with heavy team, big team, veteran team. All the predictions I think were predicated on Simpson, Lockhart, Beck, probably Maya and maybe one or two others being traded because they had to restock that cupboard. But it's funny how everyone makes these assumptions at the start of the year, right? That this team's a buyer, this team's a seller, this team's cupboard's empty. They're going to have to sell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not even sure that the GMs necessarily make that determination at the time we do. They're going to want to see what they've got on the ice. And 
returning players from a championship team often gives you a leg up in the competition. So you want to give it some time and, and it's a really tough sell to a fan base to take a team like Peterborough rolling first in the East and say, yeah, guys, we're still shipping everyone out. because we need some picks. They may still do that. But when you talk about how wide open the East is Mike and how well they're rolling and, and just winning in all kinds of ways down five, nothing to Oshawa, come back and win in their building, despite trading Connor Lockhart to Oshawa the week earlier, I think a lot of people are going to say, you know, this team can make another run. They obviously don't have the assets to make a lot of purchases this year, but do they need to? They've got that pedigree. They've got that experience. They could win that East with what they've got right now. So it's a huge decision that they're going to have to make, obviously. Uh, But I'm not convinced they're selling based on what we're seeing. That was a massive win on Sunday over Oshawa. I blame it on the time change, by the way, making the (laughs) Jennies play at two in the afternoon. But yeah, coming back from five, nothing down. Say what you want about the way Rob Wilson is coaching this team to win this year. He knows what he's got, but look, they're they're buying in to what Rob Wilson and his coaching staff are selling. It it can be a little bit tedious for sure, but it's clearly working. And again, coming back from five nothing down shows that they also have the ability to gallop if you let them out of the stable a little bit. So uh, I'm going to rip this bandaid off, and I, and I'll preface this by saying. I'm I'm not very good at this, okay? And I am absolutely, without question, too close to it in Kitchener to really be as objective as I would like. I, I just believe that. So a- acknowledging my bias up front, there are remarkable similarities between the Kitchener Rangers and the Peterborough Peets this year, in my opinion. And when you and I started texting about this the other night, Dan, you kind of woke me up to it because I... Peterborough's just kind of quietly doing its thing in the East, right? So I took a closer look at the roster. The, the the thing that I think Kitchener actually has in its favor over Peterborough, two teams on similar trajectories in the opposite conference, I think, just me, I think, that the Rangers might have the ability to keep rolling with what they've got, which is clearly working really well for them, maybe even tweak a little bit without sacrificing too much of the future for two reasons. One is the Rangers already have lined up for next season, picks one through five. So they got one of their important third rounders back when they made the Tomas Hamara deal just over a week ago. So picks one through five in the next draft are secured for the Rangers, which obviously you need. And I also see the Rangers as a team, again, I'm biased. I might not be reading this right and feel free to correct me. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Send an email anytime. But I think the Rangers have enough that that could likely return another season from now to then be moved to recoup some assets for further down the road. That's kind of the sense I get. You look at Peterborough's roster right now and, and you nailed it. I think one of the most important things outside of the way the team is buying into what Rob Wilson and his staff are preaching coaching wise is they're a little bit older and you can't carry six. I think it would be uh 20 year olds next year of diminishing returns on what you can get from those assets, because clearly you can't even keep them on your roster. So you got to get them out somewhere if they're going to play. And then the draft pick cupboard yikes in Peterborough, no seconds next year, uh, no fourths, no seconds for the next three years two-thirds in 2025, and no fourths for the next three years. That is that is a really bare cupboard. So if you 
if you don't move an asset this year or more, how do you have the the tools to to refill that cupboard? That's kind of the way I look at it. Not to take away from how impressive they've been. Yeah, you're right, Mike. Because when you look at how GMs plan these things out, I mean, obviously you want to contend every year, but you're looking at the cycles when you're going to age into a contention year. And when you look at Peterborough, you just talked about the lack of picks. I mean, they've got an impressive young kid there like Carson Cameron, sure, but you've got to build a little more around that core if you're hoping to be back to the finals or to the Memorial Cup in two or three years. So they've got some work to do. They clearly need to rebuild some assets on the pick front. Compared to Kitchener, which is a little different because Kitchener's definitely got a leg up trying to build around that 07 birth year. They've had four picks uh, in the first two rounds. All those kids signed, all those kids uh, playing. You've got two more of the 07 signs. They've got a huge cohort of 07 birthdays in. So Mike McKenzie's decision is, well, I'm trying to build around this. So yeah, I can wait till next year, maybe move a Rakoff and Andonovsky. Some of these kids are going to be back next year for a killing then. But if you move them for picks, then those are suddenly 09 birth years, guys that aren't necessarily going to help you when that 07 cohort is, is ready to contend for Memorial Cup. So these are all decisions and all long-term planning. I'm sure they've all got sketches on their wall and they talk with their staff all the time. But on the surface, you're right. Kitchener and Peterborough look an awful lot of life. But once you start getting into the weeds, it's fairly different. And you're right. Kitchener might be more equipped to kind of roll with something this year than Peterborough is, who needs to really build up that cupboard again. And the only thing I think about, because the, the decision here, Dan, it, it's got to be agonizing. We know that whether it works for any given team, any given year or not, they're all in this to win. And you, you feel like when you've got a legit shot, and we already alluded to the fact that the East seems pretty darn wide open this year, you almost owe it to the fans to, to, to take that shot. But in Peterborough, for example, you're only one year removed from a, an outright OHL championship, not just a division, not just an Eastern Conference, but an OHL championship. And and what I wonder about, and I'm not looking at that big sketchboard, I've probably got some of my birth years off by one or two here, but you wonder if you if you stay in it this year, and you could probably make the same argument for Kitchener, how how bad does it get? And we'll get to a team for, for which it's going very badly right now in just a few minutes. But that's, that's what I worry about. Again, strictly from the outside looking in. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. And if you do things right, you can keep your team in contention somewhere at least respectable every year, but you do have those surges, right? And I think you hit it on the head right at the start of that, Mike, when you said, Peterborough could win it again this year. And how often do you get a chance to legitimately contend, legitimately win? And you owe it to your fans to probably take that shot. You might do back-to-back here with how much talent they've got in that lineup. And maybe you just say next year to be damned, we've got a shot here. Uh, that might be the decision they have to go, go with because some of these teams, we've seen it all around the league. I'm not going to name names and embarrass any fan bases, but they've gone a long time without ever winning a championship. So you got one last year. And I might add that Peterborough got one last year in a year when there were some stacked teams they had to come through this year, not as much. So not only is the team still relatively similar to where they were last year, but their competition, at least right now is a little bit lesser. So seems to me like the decision starting to unfold for, for the folks in Peterborough. Yeah. I was just going to say, and that's a great point, not as stacked yet, but terrific point on what Peterborough had to go through last year. And when you mentioned uh, the, 
the ability to to put together a team that is continually successful and in contention just made me think of quickly in passing, but I ran into James Boyd, the general manager in Ottawa this past week. And we had, I haven't seen him in forever. So we have a quick chat. Like, what are you doing in these parts? He says, I got to earn my keep. I said, what, not enough championships? He looked at me and says, championships. I'm like, that's true. They don't hang banners for regular season titles, do they? You could, you know, three out of the past four is great, but there's no banner hanging at uh, TD Place in Ottawa. Okay. Before we get to that team that is really paying the piper after two really successful seasons, uh, I think we would be remiss if we didn't just start to reach our little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms towards that panic button because, you know, it's starting to get a little later in the season and all of a sudden the preseason darlings in the East are on a five-game skid right now and they have surrendered three goals in three straight games. I'm talking about the Sudbury Wolves who suddenly find themselves in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. I know it's still early enough and it's a wide open conference with no team yet asserting itself to a great degree, but surely with what you have on this roster, you're you're a wee bit concerned in Sudbury right now. Oh, you'd have to be. And I and you know when we were making the preseason predictions, I'm just going to harken back to those for a second again to say all these things that we wrestle with, at least with me, Mike the number one thing that made me struggle to pick Sudbury to win that conference was just the lack of being able to do it before. Like, do they know how to do it in that town? They've got to show me. I know they've had some great rosters. They've had on paper teams that should have won or should have contended, and they've never been able to really pull it off. Seems more disappointments than success there. So do you really give them the benefit of the doubt and look at that roster this year that, what would concern me the most, I think, is they've already made some ads, a couple good ads on the back end. They just got Dalibor Dvorsky, who's a huge ad. He's already piling up points there. So you've really tweaked your roster a fair bit already early in the season. And yet the wins are actually decreasing since the ads. So it's it's got to be really troubling uh, if I'm a Sudbury fan, because on paper, there's really no reason why that team isn't going to be one of the top two or three teams in the East right now. So six is troubling based on who's in that lineup. It's a five game skid right now. Obviously you hope it gets turned around sooner rather than later. I am not selling my stock in the Sudbury wolves. You talk about the ads they've, the pieces they've already added the talent that was already there. Look, kind of touching on what we talked about with Peterborough, when it's your turn, it's your turn. It's, it's Sudbury's turn. I, I think that, uh, and, and they'll figure it out. Uh, Papano will figure something. Like you, you got to take your shot here. You have to. Oh yeah, totally. I, I, and I think they know that their their roster is maturing right now. You, David Goyette, Dvorsky, these guys are likely gone after this year. You you've got to take your shot when your core is at that that point in time. And I you know I think we saw it again to just come back to Kitchener for a second. We saw it in Kitchener last year where I think Mike McKenzie saw his core and figured I got to do it this year, even though the team's underperforming, I got to do it. A lot of fans disagree with that. Didn't work out in the end. Uh, but Sudbury's in a very similar position this year. Got to hope they figure it out a little better this year as well because that core needs to win now. Uh, next year is not going to be as pretty. So the team that had uh, a couple of really successful runs, uh, top seed in the Western Conference all the way to the OHL final, losing in seven games to Hamilton two years ago. Obviously, as we know, got knocked off surprisingly and historically as an eight seed knocked them off as the one seed in the first round last year. But 
you you expected the Windsor Spitfires to take a step back this year. I'm not sure anybody saw what's going on right now in the border city. Eight straight losses for the Spits. And it is, it's just not a pretty scene right now. No, it's it's ugly, Mike. And like you you want to point your finger. The the natural inclination is to point your finger and say, Oh, it's the coach, it's the goalie, it's the D. It's it's a lot of things when when things are going this badly. And I mean, we can start with any one of those things, but I think we saw they're relying on Joey Costanzo and Nett. He's had a rough go, fell ill recently. Then they switched to Micheloni and Froggett's played some games. And these guys are unfortunately just getting lit up. And you look at a game last week, they they come into the auditorium in Kitchener and lose 9-2, but outshoot the Rangers. Uh, so you, you want to look at that and say, well, you're just not getting the saves. But yes, but there was a slew of unforced errors, a lot of high danger looks. There was there's just a lot going wrong for Windsor right now. And I wasn't really seeing that pushback from a few of the vets there that you'd expect would, would take things and say, you know, this isn't good enough. We were a championship or we were first place team last year. We got to do better. It looked to me like there was just a lot of bewilderment and confusion on the ice with Windsor. And when you get a fragile confidence on any team, NHL or otherwise, first sign of something going bad, you're in trouble. We saw the Windsor score the first goal in that game. Things were looking good, but as soon as one puck went in their net, it was collapse. And that's something that has to come from the top. That has to come from your leadership core in the room, and it has to come from your coaching staff. If you don't have that, it's going to be a long, long year. So I want to preface my thoughts on this again as well, because what I hate is that it's it's going to come across as being personal, which it is absolutely not intended to be. Uh, kind of what I touched on before, everybody involved in the game at this level is doing their best to win. It's not like anybody's trying to perform poorly, et cetera. I'm not trying to pick on any kids in this league, but I'm I'm going to say this. A team that I'm very close to, so you can figure that out for yourself, uh, many years ago uh, ran into a situation where they lost complete and utter confidence in their goaltender and for good reason, based on the statistics, and things did not go well for that team internally or on the ice when that happened. Over this eight-game losing streak for the Windsor Spitfires, they have allowed 51 goals. 51 goals over eight games. So that's a 6.38 goals against average. And based on the 270 shots those goaltenders have faced, there is a combined save percentage of 810. I'm not picking on a kid. I'm essentially I'm 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 picking a little bit on a position. And you, and you talked before about confidence, Dan. If you don't feel as though you're gonna get the save that you need, even just a save kind of generally, it's real tough. And there's a reason I think that the saying exists, show me a good goaltender and I'll show you a good coach. Right. So I could go on and on. I don't want to pick on anybody per se, but I, I think I think the numbers are telling a story here. And I recall a time, something that fans really disagreed with. And in retrospect, who knows how it turned out? But the Kitchener Rangers, it was pretty near the trade deadline. They they spent pretty good draft capital on getting Jake Patterson from the Saginaw spirit. And and the idea then was to give the team stability in goal and when they got into the playoffs maybe win a couple more games than they otherwise would have 
without that goaltender, build some experience for the year to come, et cetera. I think the Windsor Spitfires need to do something in this regard because it's just, it's just not going the way it needs to go at this level. And I'll throw one more thing in there in the defense of the Windsor Spitfires. There are eight straight losses, two to the Sioux, two to the Rangers, two to the Saginaw Spirit, one to the London Knights. Talk about a murderer's row in October and November. Yeah, and, and I just want to touch on one thing you said, Mike, because I, I think this is an undervalued part of the game, and that's the psychology. And I, I, I think whether hockey players like it or not, subconsciously, once they have an excuse like goaltending, they can cave in. They can say, you know, we don't have a chance because of because our goalie's not making the saves. They don't want to think that way. It's not a conscious thing. But you see that happen with fragile teams. And it's not that we're throwing the goalies under the bus here and saying it's all on them. But when this, the way the psychology works is once the players feel that way, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You stop playing maybe as a tight on D, you're just waiting for that shoe to drop. It's going to drop when your psychology is that fragile. Once they score on you, uh, it's the goalies again, guys. Can't work with this. And subconsciously you just kind of keel from there so the psychology is massive so i think you're right mike and uh, making a move to get some goaltending not only was it will it have the obvious results of maybe you get some of those key saves at the key times but you change that psychology you tell the players okay it's not if you if you lose now it's not that we've addressed the goaltending so now it's on you the effort picks up the details pick up the psychology changes. So I, I just, I'm a big believer that the psychology is a huge factor in hockey and there's a lot of subconscious things that go on. And I think right now with Windsor, they need to change that. And going back to the deal that the Spitz made with the Saginaw spirit, and you basically swap out Dionizio for Roberto Mancini. We already touched on this. Mancini's much more of a stay at home type right there to kind of, to, to plug leaks on the back end, if you will, and stabilize the blue line, as opposed to somebody like Dionizio, who is thinking perhaps offense first more often than Mancini would. I'll also just add this in. I had my first chance this past weekend to speak with, and it was you know my own fault for over five years in this league, through his five years in this league. I hadn't spoken to him before. Roberto Mancini is a quality young man, really poised, really mature. He's going to do wonders for that group in Windsor, but... I still think they need to address that need even further behind the blue line. So it's a tough spot to be in. I, I feel awful. Like you don't want to see anybody, any team struggle this bad because it's just, it's just not great for the league, but whew, it is a tough, tough go. And I'll, I'll just add one more thing to that. Having just been in Windsor, I don't know if they had a promotion going on or something on the Saturday night we were there. Hell of a crowd though. Like they were, they didn't care. They were into it and having a good time. So that was good to see. Yeah. And, you know, Windsor's got intelligent fans. I can tell you, you know, it sounds, it sounds patronizing to say they've got a great bunch of fans or patronizing, but as a longtime follower of this league, I can say with a, with a shred of a doubt, the Windsor, Windsor fan base is intelligent. You're not pulling the wool over their eyes. They can be fair if they, it, it, to other teams in terms of how good they are, what their assets are. They can be fair around how the calls are made in a game and they're very fair with their own roster. They will, they will attend if you're giving them a good product and they're working hard and they're doing, but they, they see it when things are a mess and, and that, that Windsor fan base, it's a great hockey community. And yeah, they throw them a bone here because I think when you see a crowd like that on a Saturday night, based on the way things are going, uh, I know they just won the, uh, the conference last year, but things are not good there and something's going to have to give. All right. One more thing before we get to our prospects of the week, and this was brought to our attention for good reason. I promise 
I'm not going to go back into the old bag of tricks here. I'm on record and I maintain this. I, I quite frankly hate, and I'm always reluctant to use that word, but I hate how much technology we've allowed into sports in general. I, I was watching in between flipping back and forth to the Grey Cup the other night. I'm watching an NFL game and they challenge this spot on a third down play that, yep, wasn't a first down, but by like fraction, oh, his knee was just down before the ball got to the pylon camera. It's honest, a good enough with the technology. It drives me nuts. But this past weekend, what we had in the Ontario Hockey League is something, one of the reasons it drives me nuts. And we had a delay of more than 13 minutes in Kitchener trying to do a review and almost 20 minutes in St. Catharines during an Ice Dogs game trying to get a review done on what one scout who I trust greatly and had shared his thoughts about it on just sorting out, as he put it, very simple penalties, 20 minutes. You take the 20 minutes there and the 13 plus in Kitchener and you've wasted an entire period of hockey when action should be happening on two isolated incidents this past weekend. Technology gummed things up beyond belief. I, I don't like it. I know I'm a broken record here. You got to fix this. That's that's an unacceptably long delay. Oh, 100%. There's, you know, people used to go nuts when a pane of glass would break and they knew the arena crew had to come out and you're looking at 15 minutes there. 20 minutes. I, I don't even know what the threshold is for reasonable versus unreasonable, but I know 20 minutes is over it. I think I joked to you, Mike, that I could watch an episode of Seinfeld while they're reviewing the goal. That's too long. That's too long. Your fans are getting restless. And the thing is, the main goal is to have these fans want to come back every given game. You've got dozens of new fans there for the first time. And when you run a 20 minute delay on top of your intermissions, I'm not sure those fans are coming back. So you got to do something to figure it out. And whatever the case may be, that's taking so long, fix it. So the fans tuning out, maybe not coming back. I wonder if this would help Dan, because I've been giving this thought and, and I'll get to it. In a second, basically what I want the league to do is go back to the way things used to be. And I'll start with in the National Football League when they brought in instant replay. Do you remember? They would go under the hood and they would have a clock on the screen because it was going to be a two minute review, no more. And of course, quickly we learned that reviews were taking far longer than two minutes. Suddenly that clock disappeared from the screen and now they just review until they're satisfied. What the Ontario Hockey League used to do for a while, when our company, I work for a Rogers radio station, when Sportsnet had the broadcasts, they were allowed to mic the officials and the off-ice officials so that when reviews were happening, fans, at least viewing on the television broadcast on Sportsnet, could be brought into what was being looked at and the decision-making process that led to the call on the ice. I'm thinking... You allow that to happen again. Bring fans inside what's going on. And all of a sudden, you've added an element to the game that I think is really interesting. And, and to go back to what we talked about earlier with conditions around picks in trades, the more information fans have, the more they understand your game, I think the better for everyone. So I'd encourage the league to kind of go back to the past here and take a page out of that book. Let us in. What's taking 20 minutes? What's going on? Tell us so we understand. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, my my mantra is always I want them to get it right. If that takes a little bit extra time, get it right. Having said that, 
there's also this premise that if there's gray area, you can't tell it's inconclusive, the call on the ice stands. So there's got to be uh, the, the time limit you talked about under the hood. There's got to be some sort of threshold whereby if you've discussed this for three, four minutes and looked at all these replays and you're still talking it out and you can't come to a conclusion, then the call on the ice is the conclusion. Because if it was that close and if it was that great, go back to the call on the ice. Anything else where it where it was pretty clear should take 60 seconds or less or whatever the case may be. But uh, I, I think you need to start reapplying some of those basic concepts because conversations are great. But if they stretch beyond about four or five minutes, Mike, obviously there's too much gray area and you just got to go back to your basic, go with the call on the ice. So, and I'll add one more element to this because I've had the chance to think about it since this was brought to our attention and the frustration was expressed about it. I think that since we are clearly committed to using technology and reviews in the games, then we have to take seriously that commitment. So I know from being involved in the game in Kitchener, where it was a 13 plus minute delay, that there was a problem even getting the iPad working down at the timekeeper's bench. I could see this clearly with my own eyes. And it took me back to a few years ago. We were in Oshawa for a game and there was a brutally long review and I got a little snarky about it. And then I felt really bad because Neil Luxton, who's just a great guy in Oshawa, he's been around the game forever. And he's the off ice officials crew chief. And he explained to me after that somebody called in sick, there was a rookie doing this, and oh yeah, there was like a Wi-Fi or a connectivity problem in the building. That's what led to it. So I felt like an absolute jerk. Luxy, I still love you. You're a great guy and you're an asset to the game. But that just ties into two things. First of all, if the fans in the arena are made aware of what the problem is, that's helpful. But the other thing is really, I think we have to take this stuff as seriously as we take the training for the on-ice officials, right? The regular reviews, all of these different things. Let's make sure the technology works. Is somebody in charge of testing it before the game begins? Is it powered up? Like, take your pick of things, but if we're going to be using the technology, let's make sure there are well-trained people using it. It's got power in the battery. Like, take, take your pick of little things, but let's ensure that the technology will not fail us should we need it during the game. I don't think that's too much to ask. Yeah, you know what, Mike, and, and all those little things you're talking about, maybe if you had whatever your time limit is, three, four minutes, and you say, if at that point the technology isn't working or something isn't working with the in-arena setup, the call goes against the home team. Watch how quickly it'll get fixed. That's a great point. Put the <laughs> onus on the team playing in the building that might be causing the problem. I love it. We're solving problems and picking prospects of the week. That's what we're doing on this podcast. And it is prospects of the week time. Who you got, Dansky? All right. Well, Mike, sometimes in a train wreck emerges something positive. And, you know, watching the rough time Windsor's had lately, there was someone that really caught my eye for positive reasons. I know you've already referenced the great work that Liam Greentree's done this year. My guy that I admittedly didn't know a whole lot about him coming into this year, Mike, but really caught my eye in these games, working his tail off when they were down, scoring when they needed some jump was Cole Davis. A guy, a fourth round pick of last year, made the team this year, played a few games last year, I believe, but really setting the tone this year. I think eight goals in his last 11 games, I think it is. A respectable nine on the season. But for me, it's more the... The skill level is apparent, the work ethic's apparent. And when you have things going the way they are on a team, it is that much harder 
to stand out because sometimes you don't feel like you've got the support. There's no one working with you. Um, so the fact that he managed to catch my eye in about two or three games in the last few weeks, uh, I want to give a tip of the cap, a positive, something positive for Windsor fans in Cole Davis's play. You got. Great, yeah, it's a great pick. I enjoyed watching him this past weekend. I'm going to the Eastern Conference uh, this week and looking at a team that picked up uh, five of a possible six points this past weekend. Their only loss came in overtime. They won one in overtime. And my prospect of the week scored the overtime winner. That was against Sault Ste. Marie, if I'm not mistaken. He also had a go-ahead goal in one of his three goals. So two wins, one loss, but a goal for this guy in every game this weekend. He's only got six goals on the season, so half of them just came in the past three games. And my prospect of the week from the North Bay Battalion is Ethan Procession. That's the guy I went with this week. You know, he was he was on uh, my honorable mention list, but that's a great pick because I think North Bay probably isn't getting enough love this year based on how good they've been. So great call. I was wondering if we might be close on that one. He kind of stood out yeah. to me, but nonetheless. Okay, before we let you go, I do want to acknowledge this email that came in from Bruce. We love getting emails. Send one anytime. OHLpodcast at rogers.com. Uh, Bruce is hearing rumors, Dan. You know how I feel about rumors. Uh, the more unsubstantiated, the less I like them. This is about as unsubstantiated as I've heard. In fact, I've only heard it from Bruce. So I, I might go so far as to say I'll I'll kick some tires and, and hear if there's anything more to this. But what Bruce is hearing is that the Mississauga Steelheads have intentions of relocating to Hamilton when the Renos are done at First Ontario Centre. I, I can't give that a lot because I'm not hearing anything like that other than that email from Bruce. Yeah, and I know I've heard a lot of conjecture about what's happening with that Hamilton Arena once it's finished, and there's the obvious attendance issue in Mississauga. Again, though, I have nothing concrete to substantiate anything here, Bruce. We pre, uh, would do my best to look into it. Uh, all I know is that it would be a shame to already be deciding that you're looking for a newly renovated arena in a couple of years when you're already playing in a beautiful arena. So I'll just reiterate what you said earlier, Mike, go out and support that Steelheads team. They're a terrific team in a terrific building. Just keep them there. That's a good job. Like great point because yes, I was pounding on that earlier this season. Not only is it a right sized junior hockey arena, free parking, it's free, F-R-E-E, free parking in the greater Toronto area. And it's a great hockey team. The Mississauga Steelheads are legit. Go out and support them. All right. Uh, like Bruce did, again, emails welcome anytime. OHLpodcast at rogers.com. Who knows? In a week's time, we might, we've had back-to-back -back weeks on this show, Dan, where we had trades to talk about. Yeah. So who knows? Never know what we're going to get for next week. Uh, as we leave you, I like to give you a little preview of who is coming up as our feature guest in the feature interview on Friday. Oh boy, is all I can say of this one. This guy, if not Ontario Hockey League royalty, uh, certainly became National Hockey League royalty, uh, forever remembered for being a part of uh, a, a really memorable expansion team early on in this particular team's NHL existence. I, I could go on and on, but what I will add to this, so he's a goaltender, if I didn't mention that already. Uh, yeah, I won't mention the NHL team he played for, but there is a a dark side to this man's story that I'm not sure everybody knows, and it's really rather incredible. So we get all kinds of great stuff about hockey, including his time 
at the Canada Cup, which is on the story of him jogging with Ray Bork, Wayne Gretzky. I'm trying to remember the other two. Like, you just don't get this stuff anywhere else. And then that sort of darker side of the story. It's just incredible. I know you're going to love it. And he will be our feature interview on Friday. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that one, Mike. I know I, I mentioned to you, I have several of his hockey cards, including a Jennings Trophy winner. I hope I'm not giving too many clues, but this nah, is- No, keep giving them. <laughs> <laughs> I, sometimes I, I geek out just a little bit and I had to try to control myself during this interview, but it was easy for me because he had such great stories and he told them so well. So that's our feature interview coming out on Friday's episode. You will not want to miss it. That guy over there, Dan Mahar, you'll find him on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell, at Farwell underscore OHL. Like, subscribe, uh, leave a review, send an email, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Thank you very much for listening to the OHL Podcast. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.